This is a Liverpool Echo podcast on Anfield Plus, the home of your daily podcasts, bringing you the inside track from Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to an Anfield Plus podcast on the LFC Echo app. My name is Paul Wheelock and today we will be talking about football reporting in the social media age. Being joined by three people who are experts in the area. Uh, to my left, we've got Joe Rimmer, who is the Liverpool Echo Sports Social Media Editor. Are you okay, Joe? Hello, Paul. And to my right is Sean Bradbury, who is the Liverpool Echo Social Media Editor. Are you keeping well? Very well. And sitting across from me, he's making a return to uh, to the Echo, is Greg O'Keefe, our former Everton FC editor and reporter, and he's now a BBC Sport online journalist. Greg, are you okay? It's a mouthful, that one, isn't it? I'm good, <laughs> thank you, mate. Yeah, something to do that. But yeah, to kick us off on this subject, why don't we talk about transfers? Because I think I'd be probably right in saying of of the changes that have happened with reporting on football and the social media age, transfers is the biggest one of that. And Joe, a particularly recent example of Liverpool deal that yeah. didn't happen, but at one stage looked like it was going to happen. Yeah, I think we all we all lived the Nabil Fakir transfer every moment of it, didn't we? Um, over those few days, over two weekends ago now, or three weekends ago, um, and it it just has changed the game, hasn't it? Social media in terms of I, I remember when I was growing up, I remember sitting on uh, my my dad under news agent. I remember sitting on his step and I'd, I'd get the echo and and you'd sit and read the back page and sometimes you you wouldn't even know when a person was going to sign. I remember when they got an Elka. Liverpool signed an Elka alone. I remember seeing him sitting there with the, the shirt on alongside Gerard Houllier and it, it all come out of nowhere. And it was like it was an exciting thing. You you pick the paper up and everyone would find out together. And now you have like an hour by hour update on on transfers and everyone's desperate to know more. And you you hear updates from France, from from England, and it, it's just completely changed the way a transfer is done. And and there's more pressure on the clubs, on on ourselves as reporters. And, and even even on fans to learn more and more about transfers as they go along. So Fakir was something um, that was completely different because of the way it's medical. There was all sorts of claims and counterclaims. Of course, uh, we, we found out about Liverpool's interest earlier in the month, but they firmed that up on the Thursday. We, we found out that they sort of were in negotiations and they were coming to an end with, with Leon and they were close to agreeing a fee. They did agree a fee that was into the Friday and then he went for a medical. There was all sorts of claims then, and then a, a quiet period when there was claim and counterclaim and guesses, and then eventually on Saturday evening when the, the transfer was announced to be dead. But it, it was a it was a strange forty eight hour period because I thought for me it just encapsulated everything what a transfer is in like the social media age. Yeah, Greg, you've been on both sides of it, haven't you? You've actually yeah. been when you were covering Everton, you were the person who was trying to get the inside information, but now. Whereas you could used to do that almost discreetly. Everything's out in the open now, isn't it? It really is. I was just thinking specifically in a transfer window. It's it's one of the most intense head-spinning times for a football, especially a club reporter, but a football reporter, full stop. Because of that barrage of, Joe said hour by hour, and he's right. Sometimes it feels by, like minute by minute, second by second. Um, and the thing which makes it really disconcerting is it's not just legitimate sources it's a, anyone can open up a Twitter account and begin to tweet with uh, what would seem like a degree of authority. And now, often is the case, so these people do have some insight. They might know someone who works at a training ground or uh, the next door's sort of uh, an agent or something like that. But often, they're just usually upstairs in the bedroom in the boxes kind of making stuff up <laughs> for a little bit of mischief. But the problem is that if they've got enough about them to make it look and seem like it's got some authority it then gathers traction on social media, on Twitter. And then you've been in situations whereby people on social media and even in a newsroom who are understandably caught into this kind of maelstrom of we need more content are saying, well, they're saying this. And you almost turn your head out because, yes, they are saying that, but there's a good chance they haven't got the slightest clue what they're talking about. But that's why I call it a head-spinning time. Uh, at the same time, it's good because you're so much more accountable. Yeah. I mean, I did, as Joe just said then, the sort of like Halcyon era. I remember like Joe kind of running around to Town Row in West Derby to the uh, news agent to get like the final edition of the Echo because I knew then that like, there wouldn't be any more transfer news I'd missed out on. Yeah. And you get always look for Preno's byline and sort of see <laughs> yeah. who Everton weren't signing. Like, uh, <laughs> Collie Moore, I was going to Liverpool, nightmare. But... Um, you know, it's good that now fans have got much more access yeah. and, and and they can tweet at journalists and have conversations with journalists. 
it can be quite draining as well but i'm sure we'll we'll come on to the sort of that side of it later but yeah. just in general yeah i'd sort of say head spinning is how i'd describe the experience of being at the center of it in terms of reporting yeah sean's bring you into the debate how difficult is it for the echo because as you say we have to report on all the rumour and as we were talking about all those head spinning kind of sagas that these Monday transfers becomes but also got to maintain that authority haven't they you know is it a difficult you know conundrum is different balancing acts yeah absolutely it's it, it's it's very tricky but I mean I think as Greg said the, you get the misinformation you get the innumerable amount of sources that, that will, will put stuff out now and it's key for a publication like the Echo or any any you know journalistic publication to try and be the ones who cut through that misinformation and, and give the truth but at the same time I think what, one thing that, that surprised me over the past like few years and being involved with the, the social media and the internet side of things here is the the, the veracity of the of the of the, the drive for information about transfers. It's not just like an international thing and part of our international fan base. You know, everyone locally and we, this comes through in the data we can see of like what people are reading on the website. People do want to read it, and, and I think you, you see that on social um, in some of the recent kind of sagas, if that's the right word, of like, like Joe was saying with the. the, the um, Fakir thing and Kaiser Van Dyke things like that what gets tweeted to our journalists and our, our brand accounts um, and even like the, the club accounts um, it all it is is questions about transfers like you see you see it with Liverpool when when there's a big transfer deal that's kind of seemingly in the offing if they put other stuff out think what they'll be tweeted about is you know we're not bothered about this what's what's the latest on Fakir yeah, and yeah. obviously we you know we get that um, so I think when when it is key on the agenda for for fans you've got to try and answer some of those questions but but that's where you get into those really difficult areas of of how much is right what's the balance um so i think if our, our job is obviously re, you know reporting reporting the rumors and which now have an international element you know we will get we can get speculation from anywhere in the world that comes in um so it's sifting through that putting it out there but i guess trying to stand it up and knock it down and do the best we can with the information we have yeah it's difficult isn't it because you as you say you you do get never in the past would you have had what lekeep was saying yeah. About about a transfer, but now you have that that other side of things where fans can access that and fans can see what what's being said. For example, for Fakir in France, and there was a completely different way that they were saying that Liverpool had pulled out. The, sorry, Liverpool tried to renegotiate the deal, whereas our end we're hearing that Liverpool had pulled out the deal. So it creates that. In the past, you'd never have had that. You'd never have had people unless you had contacts in France. You'd you'd never have had the, the French. Or the, the other side of, of the transfer, whereas now you're getting both sides. So it, it is it complicates matters further and, and makes your job even more difficult because you've got to find the truth and you've got to find who who is in the, in this deal telling the truth because there's a number of parties with a number of different interests involved. Yeah. And there's always a risk as well. Sorry that when you say about you know getting to the truth. Yeah. Sometimes the desire to be first, which is yeah. heightened yeah. by social media and Twitter, yeah. the desire to get that tweet first. Even if it's something which is pretty common, maybe it's embargoed, we've seen that often. Some people have that sort of insatiable sort of drive to, I want my tweet to be 10 seconds before yeah, everyone yeah. else. And okay, that's understandable, I suppose, in terms of competitive nature of any professional. But equally, it can lead to people cutting corners and tweeting things which aren't quite right. And it can, it can leave you with egg on your face when you tweet something in a desire to be first, when you've not quite sort of kicked every tie of a story and yeah. it can come back to bite you yeah. is there a way of getting the best of both worlds do we do it uh, is maybe the blog whereby you do report transfers rumours mm -hmm. but then James Pearce Phil Kirkbride Greg when you were here would come with the authority take it's almost you have to embrace that madness of yeah. what's happening out there on, on, on Twitter I think you do I think what Sean said was interesting because I think how often you hear this time of year we don't care about rumours and we don't we don't want to re read about rumours and, and you get accused of, of this, that and the other for, for reporting on rumours. But as Sean said, almost I monitor our social accounts now and I'd say 90% of replies are all about transfers and they do want to read about rumours, they do want to read about who's being linked and they do want to read about who they could possibly in be interested in. So you have to almost house them and show people that they are rumours, but we are addressing them. Asensio, for example, is, is all over every every Spanish newspaper is currently reporting that Liverpool could be interested in Asensio and you can't ignore that because if, you, if you're ignoring it people wonder why so you have to address it and call it what it is a rumour and then it's up to James and, and, and Ian to go out and find out what the, what the truth is but yeah the blog is, is, is giving us a place I think where we can address them and we, we do mm. have rumours but it, we'll, we'll come on to it later on but you, you can't 
they're almost given as much priority on the website now as, as, as other things because you can't sort of put them on a certain page in the newspaper, can you? On the BBC Sport website, so yeah. on an average day, aside from sort of coverage of a big event like England-Belgium, for example, mm -hmm. normally um, you'd expect the gossip page to get the most clicks on, on a daily basis. Yeah. We obviously get stats yeah. sent to us and that's usually the top performer. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I'm sure people might have clicked on it once or twice, it's just... Uh, an aggregation maybe sort of like 25 of the best rumors from, from across the internet usually there's some yeah. echo ones in there as well yeah. and they just package it together and and it gets incredible audience yeah mm. this is the thing i think why it is important to a certain extent to buy into it as as a fan I mean, we're all fans we all support a team as well as you know covering them um apart from you know the experience of going to games winning games and, and watching the team you know hopefully lift, lift trophies is um what was that one? Trophy? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while for, uh, well, for Red Town Blues. Like. I'm not that familiar with that one. <laughs> but, you know, I'd say second only to that probably in terms of excitement is 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 what's around signings. Like, you know, a name will be get linked and you go onto YouTube, watch some really slick 10-minute video with a nice hip-hop backing track and, you know, <laughs> get, get to know a player or, you know, think you do. Um, and it's it's all part of it, isn't it? So I think I think you're right. It's, it's a balance. It's, it's presenting things in the right way. When we've got rumours, we've got to be careful to say, look, this is a rumour. And then, Hopefully we're we're still in a position of trust them. Like when James or, or Phil or whoever it, it it'll be for us can come in with the authoritative position on something that that follows and yeah, hopefully that that carries through. And everything's analysed to like the the nth degree. You you have things. We all make mistakes. We're all human. You all might send a tweet out that you probably would have worded better if you could do it again, or you might you might write a piece. I'm so well. I'm sure we all have written pieces which we we wish we could word better or or not even have written in the first place but now everything's forever isn't it you know that this this idea that you know that the newspapers yesterday yesterday's newspapers today's chip papers it's gone now that you know everything is there it can be screenshotted it can be kept it can be recycled and thrown back at you and every tweet is people read into it they try and read between the lines they put two and two together and make five it, it's it's become a crazy time and and, and trying to navigate that is, is difficult it's difficult especially for people like James and for Greg when he was in, in the Everton reporter's role because um, people hang off your every word don't they in, in terms in this time of year yeah. and you, that as I said earlier that's that is a good thing in a way you, you, you know you've people uh, trust you and trust the Echo brand and trust that you have good access and you have good contacts and so you're in a, you're in a position of privilege but at the same time it's uh, it's not easy in this day and age that's why I've taken my hat off to Phil and James as well because I know what it's like and you know that it's it's difficult to get that access and that close closeness to the club and, and Paul you know as well yeah. um, because the clubs aren't just giving out steers on transfers and like yeah. you know it's not like yeah. you just pick up the phone and like so hi Farhad what's happening today and, <laughs> <laughs> and he bits yeah. and bobs yeah. or anything like that yeah. it doesn't work <laughs> like that you know it's it's not that straightforward and yeah. I'm sure people realise that I'm not something to sound condescending but it's it's a challenge and sometimes on twitter people expect or would like to hear updates every five minutes and it's not always the, it's not always the way sometimes people aren't answering their phones yeah yeah you're trying to get hold of people like conventional ways and they're in meetings and it's it can be difficult to feed that that machine again yeah. i'm talking specifically about transfer windows really yeah, yeah. And the summer one i suppose being the main one that we deal with but the January one itself can be almost more intense yeah what you said earlier was in sorry Sean but what no. you said there isn't interesting about people as well the, the people in their boxes and in their <laughs> corners, you know but you but Twitter is full of people who are I think excellent educated guesses they they, they follow that many accounts and they they know yeah. how to put two things together and make them look very very good and, and I think it's difficult because those people hold a lot of sway and we've seen so many you know, we we won't go into specifics, but we've seen so many accounts get so much attention when you sort of doubt where where are they getting their information from, and often I think it's because they they're very clever at adding this bit of information to that bit of information and and finding yeah. the right way of putting things together and, and making it sound like they're they're very much in the know. Itk, and and, <laughs> and, and fair play to them, they're almost carved out a niche of their own, and and in many ways I hold I take my hat off to them, but. It is difficult when those people are saying one thing and then there's, there's club reporters saying another thing and you, you, you get asked, well, such and such is saying this. Yeah. And you, you have to almost address these guys who... Yeah. They, they might not actually know anything, but you have to almost address them because they, they, they hold a lot of influence. I know he's become a, a little bit of a, 
uh, you know, I don't wish to be cruel, but a bit of a joke in a sense. But Indy Cal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, oh, he was yeah. the original. Wasn't Look it? how many followers he's got. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I suspect that he, whoever's running the account here, she has monetized that. Yeah, um, and it's it's probably no small matter because there's a significant following yeah. off the back of just pumping out the sheer volume of tweets. And it's just like throwing darts, and, and there's absolutely no insight whatsoever. I believe I could be yeah. wrong, but I don't think that's somebody who's actually a football reporter. Yeah. It's as you said, someone who's quite savvy. Yeah. I admire them in a yeah, sense yeah. the the dedication and, and the effort that goes into it. But people can almost forget that that there's no like, and, and that's another thing as well, anonymity. When it's when you're a club football reporter, club reporter, nine times yeah. out of ten. Uh, unfortunately for our viewers on social media, we've got to have our ugly mugs plastered on our, so our <laughs> profiles, um, and they know where you work, they know what you know where you're about, where you're from, and you're accountable, and and you have to be for those tweets. Yeah. But a lot of these accounts with like millions of followers could be anyone, anywhere, and they don't have that personal. I'm sure we'll come back to it later, but that personal sort of direct feedback, if and when they either get something wrong or give some news that people don't really want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Before we come on to the transfer deadline day itself, which is only a month away now, isn't it? <laughs> Just want to talk to you about, we've talked about the relationship between journalists and news organisation and fans. How's it changed with clubs? Because in the olden days, you know, you would try and go for them for sources of information or verify things. Is their relationship to the journalists changed because of what we've got now with social media? I think so. Yeah, I think cl- the relationship with the journalists has changed, but also their relationship with their own fan base has changed because they've realised the power of, of social media. And increasingly, what I've noticed is clubs want to harness the power of, of getting audience share to their website, mm-hmm. which obviously they monetize for advertising, by <laughs> using the power of exclusivity that they have mm-hmm. to get people, that basically they want to break stories, is what I'm trying to say. So they've become not only the gatekeeper of information often, although obviously there are other sources, they've become the gatekeeper. And whereas in the past, you know, for example, Preno might, uh, they weren't trying to vie with the Echo to break mm-hmm. a story. Now they very much are, and let's face it, they've got a significant head start. Yeah. That, that's another challenge that, that you face is that they want to tweet it first. They want to put it on Facebook first because they mm-hmm. want to get people through to the site. And when they do, they've got all the photographs, they've got the exclusive interview, <laughs> which it does make you laugh when clubs um, say world exclusive or exclusive when yeah well you, you're paying this person 150 grand a week and you've just you know what i mean uh, it's, it's a bit easier for you to uh, to nail down this interview sounds a little bit bitter there doesn't it but nevertheless that is a significant change and of course as well they know that the habits of journalists have changed and that's affected the way that the way they move and the way they, they deal with journalists that often you hear look this is this information but this isn't don't tweet this keep this under, under your sleeve for now and don't put this out there because inevitably that's what they suspect people are going to do. I mean, that's that's how people make and break careers by on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Sure, now, how, when we're faced with that problem, you know, not only rivals, but also gatekeepers of the information, how do, say, the Echo try and work around that? You know, and, and what ways do they look, non-traditional ways now to report football? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the content's changed, not not only like like Greg says, is is that the, the, the clubs are producers of content and in some ways competitors to uh, to, to publishers. Um, I think the internet and social media and you know live, live streams and in various nefarious ways of people find to watch the match. Like everyone's watching the match now. Um, yeah. So how we have to react on social media um, and and how we report all changes. Like obviously, we've we've said already. We have the blogs. We have we have real real time reporting of football matches. But I think given that everyone's seen games. Um, how we badge up what immediately comes after matches has changed. You know, we, we still do a match report, but it's a verdict. You know, you see the Anfield Wrap do a match review. Um, it's it, it's very very different. And I think the the other side of it is just the the whole the whole tone that we have on social media. I think um, partly because of what Greg's saying with the, the role that the relationship between publishers and clubs is changing. I think it pushes us a little bit more towards being very fan orientated which yeah. which I think is, is right in many respects you know you've got to listen to your fan base it's it, without them what, you know what, what's the point but I think it's always a challenge for us like how, how much of that tone do you adopt on social media like we obviously do a lot of kind of native content as we'd say like videos and um, pictures posted directly to Facebook and Twitter uh, they're often some of our most successful posts and ones you know myself as a fan I'd, I'd, I'd like engaging with because you know the you know, good vids there's loads of brilliant ones in, in Liverpool's run to the Champions League final um, but it's always a balance, you know. How, how much of that you do as a, as a as a publisher, as well as a you know 
um, a, a, a supportive kind of platform of, of a club uh, is tricky. And I, I think one for us, what we always have to kind of toss up, whether it's whether it's worth doing, is a lot of Liverpool fan sites and Everton fan sites would, would have a go at the other club. But being in the position that the Echo is, we, we can't really do that. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. It's, it, it's, it's a changing landscape all the time. Yeah, Sean's right. You, you've got to try and be everything to everyone, haven't you? And, and Sean and I work quite closely on, on doing sort of native posts, and, and which means like pictures and videos and, and trying to do things that aren't just articles. They're things that fans engage with and, and that they they take our brand to a wider audience and we show that we're also a bunch of younger younger guys and we're, we're not just, you know, sort of older older fellas just doing doing journalism jobs. We're, we're also engaging with fans. We're also aware of what fans are talking about, what, what they enjoy. So we, we try and do that, but it is difficult because you also want to be the authority and you, you want to be the voice of reason at times. So it's finding that right balance between being quite a, a fan sort of account and being that authoritative voice amongst the sea of voices that there are now. Transfer deadline day, let's lift the curtain a little bit. What will be happening here and in, in Manchester at Media City for BBC? How, how do you go about reporting a night or afternoon like that? I think it'll be this this year. Yeah, it's it's a really exciting day. And so um, I guess from from the point of view here, transfer deadline day is, is a, it's a 24-hour job, really. You know, you don't really clock in at 9 o'clock off of 5. It's, you've got to be across social media and largely Twitter because that tends to be how football fans... Um, that's the platform they, they seem to use on social media largely uh, to talk about transfers. I think that's unique to football fans actually because if you think widely, Instagram, Facebook have probably got a bigger reach and a bigger pull and, and more youth engagement. But Twitter for football people just seems to be what they talk about. It lends itself the format of tweets to talking about football and the back and forth of a conversation. So that's your number one port of call. And that's what you have to service routinely throughout the day. And that's what you have to also have an eye on, like I say during that day to see because the best will in the world you're not always going to have everything first that's got to be your aim as a football reporter but if that's not possible you need to be savvy enough to see who is going to and keep across what they're tweeting and reading between the lines of what they're saying equally as well you need to follow the right accounts in terms of agencies other clubs uh, people who are around transfers who often might let it slip first you know and, and then you can actually see that follow it up quickly and then in a sense you're the being the first and maybe the UK to report it for example Marcel Brands um, which is different from a player I know but PSV put that out first for yeah. whatever reason whether that was part of the agreement for letting them go to Everton they put that first and I remember I was at the BBC and they were a little bit flummoxed by well is it official yet you know what, what Everton's saying it's a well you know the best one in the world we understand it's definitely happening but no Everton haven't tweeted it because there's, there's a, some organisations can be very much, well, until someone's tweeted it or it's on the website. But look, PSV is saying, they've put a video up saying yeah. farewell yeah. and there's an interview with him on their website saying he's going. So um, that's an example of how you've got to be across everything. You can't just think that you've got to look at your club's website. Yeah. Players as well, like sometimes like to, to put little elusive tweets out, which yeah. are a bit mysterious, but maybe leading towards what's going to happen. Um so many different areas, isn't it's it? So, yeah, it, there's so many different areas. But yeah, transfer deadline day is a really interesting one. You've been in this role, haven't you, for the last one? Yeah. yeah. What What did you make of it? It's just non-stop. It's, I mean, how many people are here? I know all of you will have done. And everyone sitting down who... Who has been in trouble with their other half and not getting off Twitter? <laughs> and not, and not, you know, you're, yeah. you're sitting there, you're, you're watching something, you might be watching a film at home, and you, you're looking on your phone, you're looking down, you're looking at Twitter, and um, my other half saying to me, Oh, can you just put your phone, but you can't put it away, you can't put your phone away, you can't switch off, because if you do, then you feel like you're second, or you feel like you're not doing your job properly. And, and transfer deadline day is difficult because it is a 24 hour thing of if you know that one of the clubs, and if they're in for someone, and it could happen. You have to be switched on at all times, and I feel sorry. You know, from, from what I'm doing, you look, you you are monitoring the social media accounts, but you feel sorry for people like James and, and Phil because they've got to go out and they've got to report stories, but they've still got to keep an eye on the social accounts in case something happens that they need to be across. So it, it's it's just a full on. James is a perfect example yeah. that it it can le it does lead to definitely does lead from a personal point of view to like a borderline. It's probably unhealthy yeah, from a psychological yeah, point of view, but. 
a borderline obsession with Twitter and I've lost count amount of times I've been having a pint with James and I've been talking to him and he's like yeah 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 and then I've asked him something and maybe I'm probably I'm just boring but he said, <laughs> he, he said like a, a not quite appropriate like response I've looked at him and he's got his, his phone by his hip his pints in his other hand he's looking at me and he's also glancing down and he's just refreshing Twitter yeah. because maybe we've gone out straight after work and he just can't pull himself out of that mm. like he needs to be some, maybe something was a little bit not quite finished by the time he'd left the office and it is that it's all encompassing it and yeah. you know he might it's not that I don't want to give the impression because we've spoken a lot about Twitter that that's all there is being a footballer yeah, board yeah. that's exactly the point I don't want to make really because that's what I was saying earlier there's so many other things to make a really good well contacted um, effective football journalist but it's a massive part of it now yeah you're someone who doesn't switch off, Sean. I know that because I know that if we send a tweet or, or we're on Facebook, we put something out, you're onto it immediately. And, and it is tough, isn't it, to, to juggle that? Because you wouldn't be good at your job if you did switch off. And that's it's a sad it's a sad fact, but it's true, isn't it? No, absolutely. And it, and it is so hard that you've got to watch that that kind of short-termism. And I, I genuinely think it can it can rewire a little bit, like your behaviour. Um, so you have you have really got to kind of watch out for it. But um, it, it's a balance, isn't it? And like I think, like we were saying on transfer deadline day, um, I think you've got to you've got to buy into the mania of it a little bit and stick a yellow tie on, haven't you? And do do the blog <laughs> yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. But then I think often on deadline day, the most the most successful stuff we'll have is is that more considered long form thing at the end. I think it was a couple of windows ago. I have a James or Phil did a piece on, or maybe they both did. You know the, the story of the night, how it unfolded for Liverpool and Everton. Um, and I think that's the thing. It's it you've got to provide that context and that that long form stuff in a world where it's too easy to be to kind of like find yourself being rewired into little little kind of sound bites and nuggets were you, were you here Greg when um, the Andy Carroll deadline day yeah yeah I mean that I suppose that was just before Twitter really went nuts and social media went nuts but that must have been a, a crazy day obviously you were reporting on Everton but, but from the outside looking in on, on James or whoever it was at the time reporting yeah because I mean these are obviously massive financial deals on yeah, yeah. huge outlays now I know it shows you how quickly football moves that the fee for Carroll well, he's yeah, already yeah, being yeah. You know, considerably dwarfed hasn't it but at the time it was you know what given the context of the ins and outs from Anfield it was a, a huge amount of money and there's a lot of sensitivity with the clubs and in the commercial world about when these deals are announced and then you've got to take into account the stock market as well often yeah. they need to be notified first especially when you're dealing with Manchester United for example yeah. but yeah that was a memorable one that, you know, with, as you say with the Andy Carroll deal and I just think from an Everton point of view it's uh, you're dealing with which is you know I can remember that but it was more a case of like sort of solidarity for, you, yeah. for your soldier, yeah, yeah, yeah. fellow soldiers <laughs> that, rather than having like this <laughs> How sweaty was track. James's back? <laughs> <laughs> Off the screen. Yeah. A, a sunny day in Sefton Park. <laughs> no, it was... Um, it, it's just... You've got to deal with the emotional kind of uh, aftermath of when the, these deals get very, very close but don't come off. Mm-hmm. And often, you're the most convenient sounder board for yeah. the retaliatory, yeah. frustrated... You know, whereas back in the day, someone might have run down to... You know Joe's news agent and and picked it up and gone. Oh, Collie Moore's gone to Liverpool, and they'd be really really fed up about it. Um, and then they might just kind of like I don't know, kick the curb and that, <laughs> that was it. That was it. Yeah. Now now they go and fire off some <laughs> and a spitefully worded tweet. Yeah. And it, often it's the uh, the messenger who gets shot. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. just to go back to that um, the Andy Carroll day, I, I remember that was one of the first. Were you, were times you here then? Tony? I was, yeah, yeah, just yeah. about. And I think don't know whether I started this this role as social media editor or was just like a, a kind of digital journalist before that. But I remember um, we've got like in terms of our tracking software, where you, you, we've got a live thing where you can called Sharpie, where you can see how many people are on the site right now. Uh, but at this time, we only had one where you could you could refresh and see how many people up to that point in the day had read certain stories and that the overall figure. So it wasn't quite a live tracking software. It wasn't as sophisticated as we had now. But um, Andy Carroll signs and, you know, there's, there's Twitter, I remember at the time, I think Tony Barrett or someone put a tweet out going, you know, this is on and it was a big furore. Uh, our photographer Colin Lane went down there and got a load of pics. I'm pretty sure it was Col. Got a load of pics of Carroll like arriving and, you know, being dropped off at, um, at Anfield. And we got that story up quickly. And, and right, if, if I remember rightly, that the um, it had gone out on Twitter and Facebook and it, it had like thousands and thousands of views before it had even recached and was on the website. 
so that was the first one of the first times I remember thinking wow you know this is this is the power of of social and like uh, I guess probably from then on really like our, our kind of publishing strategy changes like now when a story goes up um, the websites are much a lot faster to load so it's only a couple of minutes after it's published that a story actually appears on the website but now probably right and say that the first thing we do is, is tweet and Facebook a story um, before before the website so it's you know that was really one of the, f- the first indicators of the, of the primacy of social media in terms of reaching an audience. Yeah, and it, things have changed, haven't they? Our newspaper set up. A yeah, lot of people yeah. may still believe it's you. You've got your Liverpool and Everton writer there, and then you've got the fellas who sub-edit the copy, people who put the headlines on it, people who designed it. Can you just give a bit of an insight into, say, how the, the Echo newsroom changed and how BBC Sports changed? I, th- I think that's one for you, Greg, because you were here right, right throughout the, for the change. Basically, I came in just... I came in 2014 when we were, we were really moving towards a digital newsroom and I came in as, as a digital football reporter. But, Greg, you experienced from both sides, didn't you? Yeah, newsroom 3.0, it's called. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. Uh, it was, there's a lot, of, so, a lot of kind of cliches and jargon around these sort of moves with companies, especially publishing companies. And I think ours was, it was, a, you know, it was a digital first move. But that, in a sense, wasn't that sort of cliche because that was kind of at the hub of what we were doing. And it, it did... It was an enormous change for a lot of professionals in this business because I was one of them because we were very much used to the patterns of the newspaper the newspaper industry as it pertained to physical newspapers and that was that as I alluded to earlier that you 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 know you'd sort of service five or six and then increasingly less as as the years wore on print editions of a paper and that's how you'd react and even when Twitter became a thing and sort of my consciousness sort of 2007 2008 2009 we hadn't yet turned around to that digital newsroom so you were still and sean was 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 here towards the end of that sort of period you were still having to be a, a digital journalist but with that kind of priority of getting stories into the newspaper and when we changed let's say we when the echo changed and when trinity mirror or reach as it is now changes the company it was huge because they were saying to journalists to everyone saying forget the way you used to do things now when when we have this sean said that this primacy this 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 currency of news forget the old deadlines so there aren't really any deadlines to sort of talk on cliches deadline is now really if you've got it and you're ready with it it goes up on the website and Mm -hmm. um it got social it gets tweeted and it it did it takes any sort of big change in industry takes time to drip feed in and and it is it was a challenge for journalists in you know, I'm sure it was a challenge for everyone involved in the newspaper production side of it mm. as well, but it was massive. And then Twitter, Twitter's prominence grew along. That's that's why we were changing really, not just Twitter, obviously. I, I could say social media and people's sort of habits with newspapers. People were increasingly buying less and less. And I, it, you reminded me then when you were talking about you know people follow football journalists. I dare say there's a lot of people who don't buy papers or even actually read them online but what they do is that they get the news from facebook or twitter yeah. and they follow journalists or um, pages they feel have got like sort of insight so they might they might just follow you know for, for liverpool they might follow james follow paul joyce dominic king chris bascom dave maddox and all that and, and they are their media mm-hmm. so the age of newspapers and, and being behind a, a, a masthead if you like you know the the brand at the top of the page yeah. really changed and it and it, it was a quick change wasn't it Sean it was it changed like as life was changing how people's habits were changing as well didn't it yeah absolutely and the way Greg describes it, I mean I, I started in 2010 so it was very much when when this was was happening and I think when I started just the, the, you know the the weekend shift um was like a couple of hours or the start of a Saturday where you'd basically shovel what was in the paper onto the website in, <laughs> yeah. into article form and then you'd be on call in case anything happened, and obviously you know a big transfer or a big breaking story, we'd get it online. And then you'd log back on on Sunday evening and do another four or five hours, and to get Monday's paper online. Um, and then yeah, that's just like the, the process of, of putting the paper on the website soon became putting the website in the paper, and and you know that that to a to a larger degree is, is kind of where we are now, and, and it's just yeah the pace, the pace has just kept increasing. I think the biggest change really has been that it's brought brought your audience right to your doorstep hasn't it it's brought your audience right on top of you and they they tell you whether they like things or <laughs> they don't like things and some some put it, put it in better terms than others but it, it it makes you rethink the way you do things it makes you change the way you do things um and, and sometimes sometimes it's good sometimes it's very good just recently um i wrote a story on, on jordan henderson and um a prominent twitter liverpool twitter account came on to me and 
to be honest, I, I, I actually appreciated his feedback at first. I was, I, it got me back up a little bit. But then as I read into it, he, he accused me of being a bit of a cheerleader for Henderson. And at first, I thought, I'd be unfair. And I responded to him. We had a couple of tweets back and forth. And then it made me think back and look at the piece and in future, maybe perhaps be a bit more balanced because it, maybe it did appear to be a, a cheerleading piece, if you like. Um, but it, so it does make you think twice about the stuff that you write and, and perhaps change the way you write so that you, you do understand your audience a bit better. But the, the opposite side of that is sometimes it has a negative effect because they take people take context out of things. And the one that made me think only very recently, and, and maybe Paul, you know, start talking to you about doing a, a podcast on social media is um, we had one day when Liverpool were linked with Shakiri, Everton were linked with Shakiri. And um, myself and Adam Jones, our, our Everton reporter, were, were having a conversation, and and I said to Adam, oh, would, "Would you take Shakiri?" And he said, uh, "Oh no, I wouldn't touch him." So I said, "All oh, right." I said, "Why is that?" And he said, oh, "I just don't think he's the type of player Everton need. I don't, I don't think at this stage he, he works hard enough. The way the way he did for Stoke, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it doesn't reflect well on him, and I don't think he'd fit in at Everton." So I said, "Ah, oh, you should write that." He said, he said, "Oh, I think I will." So he write, writes a piece. Why Shakiri doesn't it doesn't fit in shouldn't shouldn't go to Everton, and uh, on the couple of days before that, Ian Doyle uh, on the Liverpool side of things had written a piece saying Shakiri would be a good signing. A couple of days later, Adam I see Adam fielding a few responses on Twitter going back and forth with the guy because someone had screenshotted the headlines of both pieces. One of them was why why Shakiri be the great great signing for Liverpool, and then the other one was why Shakiri wouldn't be a good signing for Everton, and it accused the echo of being biased towards Liverpool. But he'd stripped everything else away from the article. He'd stripped any of Adam's comments on why he thought that. He'd stripped away any any notion that it was two opinion pieces, and just said the echo are presenting presenting this in two different ways, and they're biased. And and it's difficult because already it had been retweeted a number of times. A number of people are agreeing with him and saying, "I can't believe they've done this." And on the one hand, Twitter's good because it enabled myself and Adam to go in and talk to people and say, "Actually, here's the two articles, and if you give us a chance, you'll understand." And you win people over, but it also does damage because you're already fighting people because it is presented unfairly. And in the newspaper, you'd never have that. You'd never get someone take a newspaper down to a pub and say, look, I've read this, <laughs> snip the headlines off and go, look, look at these two headlines, look at the echoes done. You'd never have that situation. You, and, and Twitter has created these situations where it makes it, makes it difficult and you have, to compl- you have to constantly manage it and you're constantly talking to people. It, it can be good and it can be bad. Even today, I was talking to a guy who complained about the website and said that he couldn't read articles because of the amount of adverts and and on one hand, you think, well, it is free. But on the other hand, I have some sympathy. So I said to him, can you put it in an email? And it means, again, you can speak to the audience and you can put it to management and say, look, people aren't happy. And that's good. But it does create some, some issues for you as well. Yeah, on the, yeah, on, on the BBC uh, live page, Sports Day, uh, they're really big on sort of getting people involved. So, you know, whether it's by text or by yeah. using the hashtag BBC Football, and the sheer volume of responses to every question the social team put out is stunning, stunning, really, um, and you know they then form part of that live page by you, you regular updates of just collating what people are saying, mm-hmm. and in that sense, people get and it's exactly as you've just described because I texted you about that mm-hmm. exchange you had with the yeah. person who was complaining about the headlines, didn't I? And I thought, in the end, it was a really positive example of how, although it was frustrating what he'd done, uh, I think in the, I think I'm right to say in the end that you sort of reasoned with him and. He sort of accepted it in the end, didn't he? Or there was a, there was he, a, a he constructive. Actually, there was process. a constructive. He just disappeared. He, t- he tweeted it, and then just off he went. Oh, was it other people? It was other people right. that we managed to duplicate and, and talk to. But but yeah. yeah. But what, what you've got essentially, which you never had before, other than maybe a letters page once once a week, is a dialogue with people who are consuming yeah. the, the content we create, and it can't be a bad thing. You can't be scared of it, and you can't mm. run away from it. It can be frustrating, and it can be positive, and it can be maddening, and. But it's only going that way now, and it's—I would say—on the whole, it's something we should try and embrace. It's just—it's uh, society in general, isn't it? Yeah. Some people, and we've seen, you know, in in a different context, but trolling on on Twitter and Facebook, and the way some people speak to people on Twitter. Unfortunately, people behind the keyboard can behave in a in a very different way than they would if mm-hmm. they were like sort of. Say, oh, Joe, excuse me, are you Joe Remy? Yeah, they've got these two headlines. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you say, that's at the hub of it, isn't it? It's so yeah. easy to fire something off from your, your phone or a, key, or a yeah. keyboard. Yeah. 
when it's not in face to face. With these things, like, you know, Greg touched on the issue of trolling, and you know, obviously criticism, constructive criticism, to, to be welcomed in every every single newsroom. You'd like to think. Um, but I, I think it's always significant that we do have these conversations. And like this, this uh, particular example, Joe's highlighted the Shakiri thing. Quite a few of our not not only Adam who wrote it, but quite a few of our journalists and myself and others had had little back and forth with people about this because, obviously, first of all, you want to try and convince them that this was this was just two different opinions, football's game of opinions, and the two writers who cover different clubs had a different view on something. But I think it's important always to like try and have those conversations because there'll be others who see someone does a tweet saying, "Oh, look at this," you know, the echoes. You know, miscovered this. Unless, unless we try and correct them or you know have our say, then that that will be the assumed truth. But other people will see that and just kind of t- you know may take it at face value. So it's important to try and kind of you know have have a conversation around it. But um, one of the things that gets me about about Twitter and Facebook, in terms of a difference to the kind of the the, the, the paper age, if you like, um, every tweet that goes out, every Facebook post has it's on the same level as each other. You yeah. can't you can't have a front page tweet or a front page Facebook post. So People will often say, um, you know, if, if on Facebook, you, you're probably only likely to see two or three, maybe more if you interact more with the echo of, of the posts of one of our page per day pop up in your feed. Um, you know, so recently, one of those might be, straying quite far off football here, but one of them might be a Love Island post or whatever, because, you know, a bit of light and shade, we'll try and put a little bit of everything out. Um, and then it's people will make a judgment based on what they see. And, you know, that's absolutely fine, but they'll come back at us. But it's, it, it's hard, you can't, you could you could put a you could put a lighter smaller story on page thirty five of the Echo, but you can't you can't necessarily do that with Facebook and Twitter. And then the level of engagement that it gets it can just vary. Um, so you know any any one tweet, any one Facebook post can take off. So you know we, I guess part that that's on us. It's up to be to try and, try and make sure everything we put out we're we're happy with. But you know sometimes it's, I guess the football example, it it would be a tweet on a rumor would essentially get the same level of audience potentially as a tweet on a big transfer story. But that's just just the way it is. It's, it's it's a it's a balancing act, isn't it? It's why recently we've tried to to put something on our rumor mills, like a little tag that says it's a, a transfer gossip, and and you try and differentiate it because there are there's no nibs in um in in modern journalism, is there? Because you, you don't have a nib is like goes down the side of a page, but you don't have that anymore. You, you everything is presented the same, like Sean says, and it's difficult because you want to cater to different audiences. Some people do like the light-hearted stuff. Other people don't understand why you do the light-hearted stuff and just want to read very serious stuff. And it's trying to case them all and prove that we do a mixture of everything and not just more X amount of one thing and, and not as much as the other. Yeah, just before we wrap up, I thought we'd touch on that. We talk about trolls and... I think particularly for a, a club reporter, there is a downside to Twitter. That interactivity is, is fantastic because it can help shape what you're writing. It can help understand what fans are thinking. But there is downsides to it, isn't it? I think if we had James Pearson here, you can see some of the... God, it can be light-hearted at times, but sometimes it can't, can't it? Uh, I know I went through when I covered Blackburn Rovers. It was tough sometimes with some of the stuff that you'd get. Greg, did you go through that with Everton? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It, it can be quite, uh, quite difficult at times with the the feedback or perceptions about how you do your job or whether or not you're... I mean, it's probably a generic claim that's been thrown at every club beat reporter over the years, but you're, in, you're either in the club's pocket or, you know, you're not really in the know and, and people can get... You're there to be shot at and, and people aren't shy to uh, to kind of... to do so. Um, it's weird. It, it's... I mean, on the on the po- well, not positive, but frankly bizarre and frequently amusing side. James is like a phenomenon yeah. of himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hashtag Pierce cult. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who's listening now, if yeah. you check out the, um, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, the guy just was the the P- James Pierce obsessed memes that this hardy band of a dozen or so Twitter users on the daily produce. Some of them are quite staggeringly bizarre, and it's just um, James's face superimposed on a variety of things, but. Uh-huh. And Darth Vader the other day taking, yeah. taking pizza from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as yeah. yeah. Is this after the pizza? <laughs> yeah, after yeah. after we had a debate in the office about pizza, but yeah, there I you mean, go. They, they suddenly I, I I saw pulled back the curtain and saw what it was like to be James for for half a day as they <laughs> as they created a number of memes, all yeah. sorts of weird, strange, and wonderful things yeah. to do with James. Pierce. But I, I remember <laughs> I remember often when Everton before Mashiri came along when Everton was skint. Um, times were challenging um, a lot of fans were unhappy with the the way the club was being run and you know the, the sort of constraints that they felt were 
were on the club from an ineffective board and you know a sort of like uh, an owner that didn't have the money to resource it as they rightly wished you know because they want Everton to be successful unfortunately that frustration can boil over and often you know you'd, you'd be reading your notifications and there'd be some pretty vile stuff there really aimed at aimed at myself and I've seen it happen to James I've seen it happen to Phil and so I've seen it happen to to you know all my colleagues and as you say Paul I remember you know when Blackburn were going through the throes of a really really messy kind of few years with the Venkies you know you copped for a lot of it and um, it's pretty unprecedented that obviously you know celebrities must get it all the time but I'm just thinking in terms I don't really see it much at news journalists but football journalists and maybe sports journalists I I mainly covered football in my career um, seems to be a lightning rod for that sort of like sort of unpleasantness I guess you could say but what sometimes people forget I think and it often you can remind them when you, when you come back at it if something's like a lot of this stuff so vile you just kind of ignore it and just wash your hands but sometimes you go you know that's out of order and people are instantly like oh sorry about that mate because mm, yeah. they might not have expected you to reply yeah. it's almost as if they don't think you read it but you're a human being and you know you've got your own Twitter account that's the thing I know I, I have debates with, with you know several colleagues and people in the industry and, and they're very reluctant to use Twitter because of what they've seen the, the colleagues going through but it's increasingly it's a non-argument these days you know you work for a, a public an online publisher you have to have a, a social media presence and I can understand that completely but as Paul said there are definitely downsides there are surreal sides and there are positive sides and like you said as well you hinted it can often shape and guide the content that you, that you write and give you ideas sometimes because you can have some really good feedback you know it doesn't happen often but you can get people yeah. saying really enjoyed that piece you know, that reminded me of like such and such or great to see that news or you know I've just read your, your feature on Everton in the community gave me a spring and my step so it doesn't happen all that often but when you get that sort of feedback you know it does it makes you feel pretty positive about it all yeah I think Greg's right it, it, it's, it's got its ups and downs but, but it is the reality now and certainly just to talk about the kind of news side of things for a minute that is social media now Twitter and certainly Facebook messages that's Nine times out of ten, if there's a big breaking news incident at Liverpool, that's that's how we'll hear about it first. Either through social searches we've got set up, or more often than not, Echo readers coming to us and saying, "Have you seen this? Here's a picture of this. Here's a video of this." Um, so you know that they're, they're kind of essential platforms to be on there and kind of to be listening to people on. But yeah, it's it's when it it's when it slips over. And the, the thing I was just thinking of then when Greg was speaking was was the, the carrier stuff after the Champions League final. It's it's that idea of not. I think when, when something starts, we often see this on social media, when, when like the first comment under a Facebook post of ours say is, is on a certain, it takes the conversation in a certain direction. It, it can quickly tumble in that direction unless, you know, other kind of more moderate voices maybe come in or we can try and steer the debate ourselves a little bit. But yes, you know, like de- death threats to a keeper after a game of football. And, and as Greg said, he's, he's a human being behind, behind the social media account. Um, and on the one hand, it's, it's great that people put themselves out there and they're willing to have those conversations but things have got to be civil otherwise you know they'll 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 back off and they'll just not want to get involved which would be totally understandable i mean in many ways i love social media you wouldn't you wouldn't really get into this job if if you didn't in some ways but uh, look i mean it's it's hilarious sometimes it makes you smile it brings you closer to people it's it's made the world smaller hasn't it in in terms of you can we can communicate with people from all sides of the globe and it's great to hear someone in Indonesia is reading your, your work as well as someone just down the road it, it's, it really is great but yeah there, there are some some nasty people on there and I've lost I've lost count of the amount of times people have made fun of my surname um, and it, it never gets old you know it's always funny every every single new time they say it you know I'd never heard it before so it's hilarious but for every for however many bad things people say about you, one good thing is overshadows it all. The, the nice, positive feedback you get and, and just getting to know people and, and some of the people that you, you talk to on a regular basis on, on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever it may be, it, it makes up for it. Where's your mate from, Isaac? Where's he from? Isaac's oh, O'Neill, Isaac. yeah. A little <laughs> shout, shout out to Isaac. Yeah, <laughs> in Ghana. But there's, there's, there's different ones. Um, there's a girl who, who tweets us, myself and Sam Carroll, on almost a daily basis from Indonesia, Ayunda. She she's great and, and she's always offering feedback and and um and constantly tells us that she thinks we do a good job which is nice and you know i suppose in some respects i don't know you, you might say someone doesn't sit next to a plumber and say you're doing, you're doing a, you're doing a terrible you're doing a terrible job here on, as, as they as they're trying to do their work right, tweet the job. But on, on the opposite side of things they probably don't get as much praise as we get no, when no. when things do go well so 
you know, it gives with one hand and it takes with the other, doesn't it? Yeah, so to wrap up, I think hopefully over the, the course of this podcast, we've, we've shown how much it's changed to be a, a football journalist and a journalist reporting on the sport now in social media age. Overall, is it changed for the better? I think so. I think so. I think it, it's brought clubs, it's brought reporters, it's brought, brought sportsmen and sportswomen closer to their fans. And, and, and that sometimes it has its bad elements, but it also makes us all a bit more human and surely that is, is a good thing and, and we've seen so many you know Greg mentioned Everton in the community before and, and they do a fantastic job as does the, the LFC Foundation and quite a lot of their great work is championed on, on social media and, and also they reach a lot more people thanks to social media and, and they interact with people so I think on the whole it, it's, it's made sport a better place but there are, there are poor elements to it of course yeah, I think on, on keeping it on a football level is it good or bad. You, you've often seen in recent years um, fan groups internally within one club be able to collectivise through through social media and the internet in general and even like across clubs, like stuff like, you know, 20s plenty, um, lots of football campaigns where it's certainly done good. Um, but yeah, concerns I'd have would be on an individual level. I sometimes think that do platforms do enough to protect people who use them, especially people who are quite prominent on them and like Greg said before, might be a lightning rod for criticism and abuse. Um could there be stronger measures brought in to protect those people? Possibly, but it, it's the reality of, of where we are now, and I think we just have to we have to be mindful that we we use it and we don't let it use us as, as publishers. And you know, you, you use data, you use interaction, you use um, conversations with fans to to find out about what you should be covering and how you should be covering it. But that's that's not the be all and end all. You know, there's, there's something beyond that as well. I totally agree with what both guys said. There, it's important as well that we don't forget what we at the core of what we are as a newspaper or as a national broadcasting association in terms of the bbc and what we're good at and why just that was really kind of that was a great phrase that sean used there you know we use it don't let it use us it's not all consuming um or all encompassing despite the sort of power it has and you still got to remember like what you're doing and why you're doing it and what what you're good at which might not necessarily always mean that you have to bow to the whims of social media but overall you know they've been whether it's good or bad change it's almost redundant like you know people can complain about you know the good old days and when you know, journalism was a nine to five job and you know i before my career in journalism started it wasn't you know I remember people saying in the echo newsroom if they got the splash which for people who are unfamiliar with it is the front page you know that they'd go to the cross keys and then they'd have a few pints and pretty much come in do a little bit more than knock off at three o'clock and you know, yeah, of course, it, it's changed. Social media um, has, has massively transformed the newspaper industry and football journalism as well, hand in hand, for better or worse. It's just the way it is. And we, we just have to find a better way of, of interacting with each other, I think, and kind of keep the, the surreal uh, pizza-feeding Joe Wimmer <laughs> Pierce memes coming. Yeah. And maybe just not so much the abuse. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. And thanks to Joe, Greg and Sean for their input. Hopefully it's given you a bit of insight into the job they all do. Uh, this app is on, uh, this podcast, you should say, is on the LFC Echo app, which is for free and has daily podcasts on there if, you, if you'd like to listen to what we're doing. Thanks very much. You've been listening to an Anfield Plus podcast on the LFC Echo app.